We're going to, like I said, just be continuing on in our series through the book of 1 Corinthians, Messy Church, Merciful God, looking at Paul's ancient letter to this ancient church in the middle of the first century in Corinth, a church that was full of so many amazing things, amazing people, amazing gifts, but also was also a complete mess at the same time. And Paul just writes this letter as like a fatherly figure to help correct and encourage and guide this church back into more of the ways of Jesus. And so today, where we're going to find ourselves is actually in chapter 3, and the hope is to get through, or we will get through the whole chapter. And what we're going to be looking at is kind of Paul again addressing one of these issues that is happening in the church in Corinth. And maybe a way to sort of frame this, the issue that's happening is in verse 4, Paul is going to call the Corinthians infants which isn't like a compliment. He calls them infants, but by the end of the chapter, Paul is encouraging them and calling them to be fully in Christ, that they belong to Christ. And there's this progression, so to speak. There's this invitation to growth, as we'll see. And maybe a, kind of a non-religious way to sort of talk about this, what we're talking about today is this idea of going from immaturity to maturity. Immaturity to maturity. And Paul is going to kind of take us on this journey through chapter 3 on this, how does this happen? What does this look like? What does growth look like? And to be honest, as we look at this, this idea of immaturity to maturity, this is what's happening in Corinth actually is not all that different from what we find in our own culture today. You know, in our own culture today, there's this term that's being floated around called adult essence, not adolescence, adult essence. Meaning this idea of one is the age of an adult, but they don't act like an adult. At all that sense. And it's, it comes to this, the, the idea of what, what's happening now is then now people, you know, whereas two to three generations ago, adulthood was, you know, 18, 19, early 20s. You know, you were an adult then. Responsibility and the freedom, they went together. Uh, whereas nowadays, it's kind of adulthood's being pushed off longer and longer for both good and bad reasons. But that's kind of the cultural kind of moment we're in, so to speak. And what happens, though, too, is that what's fascinating is that now adult has become a verb. I don't know if you've noticed that at times where people will say, you know, because we love our autonomy and our freedom, especially young people and the independence. But then when there's like a responsibility or a commitment that we have to follow through on, we say things like, I'm adulting now. Or I have to adult, right? And so adult has become a verb. And But what happens though is then we, we, we live in this world, right? And what happens is then we begin to, and we have idolized youth. We idolize youth and then forget and ignore the wisdom of the ages. And forget and ignore the wisdom of folks that have gone before us. And what that highlights and what that speaks to is an immaturity, so to speak. And I kind of pick on my own generation because I, I see those tendencies even in my own life. But I think the invitation as we look at this text is to see for Paul and the church in Corinth and for us today, no matter, not just if you're a young person, but no matter your stage of life, there's always room to grow. There's always room to grow because none of us can walk into this room and say, we have arrived. We've got it figured out. You know, we're fully mature. We've fully, you know, figured everything there is to know about life. Paul would say, no, if, you, if you're in that camp, you're actually the immature one. What Paul is going to be inviting us to is to see there's this journey that we're all invited to, this journey of growth. 
And to sort of kind of help us through this, I want to break this text down, this idea from immaturity to maturity, this talking about growth into three sort of big ideas or three kind of sub-components. The first, all talking about growth, the first one being growth is necessary, number one. See, growth is necessary. Number two, though, growth is a process. Growth is a process. Number three, growth is God's. Now, I'll explain these as we go through, but the first one, growth is necessary. Number, number one, starting in verse one. Paul says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. We'll talk about that phrase in a second. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and only behaving in only a human way? And for when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, when Paul says the beginning of that that section there, you know, I could not address you as, quote, spiritual people. What is he talking about? Well, all throughout the Pauline literature, the idea of being a spiritual person is not someone who, like, just kind of shows up at church for one hour a week and, you know, does, like, religious sort of things. A spiritual person is someone whose life is animated and empowered by God's Spirit through all of their life. Not just in a cookie cutter, just the religious part of your life. All of life being animated by God's Spirit, where God's Spirit is empowering them to, to live the life that Christ has called them to live. Where the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, is just overflowing in that person's life. But Paul says, I could not address you as, quote, spiritual people, but rather as infants. As infants. Now think about that, that, that kind of moniker there, the infants. What's Paul saying there? I mean, infants are, are cute, right? Like we love, we love little kids. Little kids are awesome. We had baby dedications here a few weeks ago. I mean, we love little kids. But think about infants and little kids. They say things like no a lot and mine and, you know, that's mine. Give me, you know, like we have two little ones and we love them. But, I mean, infants are, are not and young kids are not like the best at, hey, how can I serve you? <laughs> right? Or what would you like? Right? I've never heard a young person on their own, you have to train them to say that, but you don't have to train them to say no or mine, right? It's kind of how it works. And so when Paul says, you guys are acting like infants, You're, you are infants, even though he said at the end of chapter two, you have the mind of Christ, you have the spirit of Christ, but you're acting like infants. Paul's saying, you know, it's his way of saying you're, you're actually really immature, you're not living into the fullness of what God has for you. You're not, even though you have the spirit of God, even though you have the mind of Christ, you're still acting like infants. There's this disconnect, so to speak. And Paul builds off this analogy where he says, you know, I couldn't feed you with, or I had to feed you with kind of milk and not solid food. Like I had to feed you with like baby food, like Gerber's and, you know, mac and cheese and whatever. Like, I, but not like real food. Now, slow down, pause right here. What Paul is not saying is that there's like these classes of Christians, you know, where over here is like, oh, these are the like lower class Christians over here, and over over here, you know, these are the elite uber Christians. It's not like Paul is saying, you know, on one hand, here's the, the lower class, and they're just stuck with like baby food, and you know, it's just kind of bland, you know, mac and cheese or whatever, and over here, if you're mature, or if you're like the elite kind, you get like this gourmet spread. 
You know, and if you're really, really mature, it's like vegan and gluten-free kind of a thing, <laughs> right? So it's like, that's not, what, that's not what Paul is saying. Sorry for those of you who are in that. It's <laughs> not, <laughs> not, sorry. So I got sidetracked there. Anyway, <laughs> the, yes, <laughs> the, the point is, the point is, Paul is not saying that there's classes of Christians. But what Paul is saying is that growth is necessary. Growth is necessary. You're still acting, Paul says, like infants. Are you not merely human, Paul says? You're still kind of stuck here. That idea of being merely human, Paul says it a couple times in that section there, verses three and four. You're acting, you're merely human. Paul, or N.T. Wright, the way he translates that phrase I think is beautiful. He he says, because he gets into like what is happening there in the original language, where Paul is saying you are very intently only human, where it gets at this stickiness and stubbornness on the part of the Corinthians. They're kind of stuck and they're being stubborn in their immaturity. But Paul says, no, no, that's not the place that I have for you, or not the place that God has for you. You are still in the flesh. But as I kind of think about, you know, okay, here's Corinth, you know, thousands of years ago, they're in this immature kind of state, so to speak, where they actually think they're mature, but they're really not. The kind of the questions I was thinking about, okay, so what about for us in our cultural moment, in our day? You know, if for the Corinthian church, their immaturity centered around things of like personalities and thinking they were wise or going after the world's wisdom in their day, what are some of the ways though in our day that immaturity might rear its ugly head? You know, so I was kind of thinking about this, reading and praying and, and kind of discussing this. A couple of things came to mind. Now, this is not meant to be exhaustive or anything like that, but here's just a few thoughts on how does immaturity rear its ugly head in our day? The first thing that I kind of thought about was those that are kind of stuck in immaturity rather be coddled than challenged. Coddled than challenged, meaning this idea where you know, we live in a culture where we don't like to be challenged or to do hard things. We'd rather just kind of be coddled along and kind of have things kind of easily handed to us. Jonathan Haidt, he's a sociologist, professor, brilliant guy. I think it was last year, year and a half ago, wrote this book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And he talks about, especially my generation and younger, we're kind of raising what he calls a snowflake generation. Where it's this idea that we're just very fragile in a sense, where we don't like it when people criticize us. We don't like it when people disagree with our opinion on something. We don't like it when there's like difficulty and we want just ease in our kind of everyday lives. We're like snowflakes. And, and, I, and I resonate with that. But the, the, the invitation though for maturity is to go through hard things and to persevere through some of those things. And life isn't always going to be just, we're always coddled. And at times it's good to be challenged. And I think the second thing that kind of thinking about, you know, immaturity in our day is that we prefer oftentimes new things over normal things. Where we just want to just go with the newest thing, the newest fad, the newest this, the newest that. And there's always this kind of like addiction to what's new. What's, what's the next thing that I can do? Not that that's all bad, but I think of, you know, people that stick with something for a long time. There's something inspiring about that. There's a faithfulness there that is worth imitating in our lives. 
You know, I think of the folks that were part of this church way before many of us were here. And I'm told all the stories of all the difficulty and all the uncertainty. And I'm sure there was temptations maybe to go somewhere else and to try something new. But the inspiration and the example to stick with it through the difficulty and not just go to the new thing has laid the foundation for what we, most of us here get to participate today. And that is something to, to commend and to honor and to celebrate. And I think we have to be careful of just always going after the new thing. Eugene Peterson talks about having a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. The faithfulness to stick with something. You know, kind of the third thing real quickly here is oftentimes immaturity rears its ugly head by preferring self-answers over biblical answers. Especially in our culture, right? Where we want to just have the answers that cater to our own lives that don't ever challenge us. It's kind of getting back to what I said earlier. Instead of, especially as Christians who follow Jesus and love the scriptures, the invitation is to see, you know what? Our answers should be found from the scriptures. Our wisdom, our guidance, our lives should be shaped by the scriptures, not just our own self-interest or what we think is right on our own terms. You know, those are just a few ideas and, you know, I didn't, you know, now that I made you kind of feel bad, uh, there's more, there's more to this teaching. But the point is, is that for us, it's important to recognize where are those areas of immaturity? Where are those areas of growth? And how might immaturity rear its ugly head in our day? So that's the first thing. Growth is necessary. But also, it's important to understand, number two, growth is a process. Growth is a process. Read with me starting in verse five. Paul says this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Notice he says they're servants, right? They're not symbols of status or celebrity or kind of personalities to, to, to idolize. No, they're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. We'll get to that section, that verse in particular in a second. But notice what Paul is saying there. There's a process here. And oftentimes this process involves multiple people, different people. I mean, how many of you, follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, how many of you just like came to faith all on your own, not a single person ever helped you, and you just like woke up one day and figured it out all by yourself? How many of you? Like, not many of us, right? Like, none of us, right? There was, I, can, I think of so many different people who have been a part of my life that have helped me and shaped me and encouraged me along the journey. We're not one person in particular can take credit and say, you know, I'm responsible for, you know, whatever good there might be in Aaron's life. No, there is different people at different stages. And I think if you can think of your own life, looking back at your own journey, seeing that different people have played different parts, some planted, some watered, everyone did a little bit of the part. But at the end of the day, like what Paul says in verse six, God gave the growth. That God was working through that whole process through these different people in your life. But it's still, it's a process. Paul goes on. So neither he who plants, verse 7, nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. Now I'm going to read quite a bit of the, the scripture here. So bear with me. It's going to be on the screen. So a lot of the chapter I'm going to read right now. So starting again in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. 
Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus the Messiah. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest or, or, or revealed. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work one has done. Now verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy you. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, with a lot of these passages and this one in particular, there's so much we could say on this. But notice a couple things first. Notice the two metaphors that Paul uses to describe sort of this process. One concerning agriculture, right? Talks about gardening, agriculture, and then also architecture, right? There's the building analogy. Both of these sort of kind of are working together and Paul kind of works through these and leavens these and develops these throughout that section. Agriculture and architecture. He says in verse 9, you are God's field, right? So there's like the garden agriculture metaphor. And then he also says, you are God's building, now, one thing to point out also is that in verse 9 and a lot of, the, lot of the, this passage, notice when Paul says, you are God's field. You are God's building. In English, we only have one word to describe you, both in plural and in singular, right? We just say you. Unless you're from the South. Anyone from the South? Right? How do you say plural you in the South? Y'all, right? Okay, so sometimes I wish we had that in English because it would bring out the clarity. What Paul is doing here is that these are plural yous, right? So he's talking to the church. He's saying, you all, or I don't, is that right? Y'all? Y'all, there we go. Y'all, y'all. Y'all are, that's really bad. You all. You plural, we'll just go with that. You plural are God's field. You plural are God's building, right? So he's, he's not talking to individuals, okay? It's important just to be faithful to the text. He later will actually in the same letter talk about being that you individually are God's temple. He does get to that later in the letter, but in this passage, it's plural you, all right? And so what's happening here? He's talking about God's growing the community, God growing the church, both t- collectively together, and this process, that foundation, remember in the, in the passage, that foundation is Jesus. And that's basic 101, but never move past that. The foundation is Jesus. And as the church grows, it's important what is built upon that foundation. He talks about the different metals and the different elements. That there's some things that you can build upon that just are going to go by the wayside. It's not going to last. And there's other things that... that that actually matter, that stick, that will last through till that final day, Paul says. But here's the thing. When we're talking about this idea of growth, I mean, how many of you have experienced either gardening or having some sort of building project? At least secondhand or you've done it yourself. Now, especially like for a building sort of thing, I'm like the least handy person on the planet, but for like anything building-wise, how many of you, when you did like a, a, any type of building project, it got done faster than you thought it would? <laughs> Stillwell over here is the only one. He's a, he's a champ. 
But for most of us, right? For most of us, when we've done a building, like we had this experience, my wife and I, we tried uh, redoing this, this table in the backyard. And we, we thought we, we got this like $20 table from the thrift store. And we're like, we're gonna have this amazing outdoor table. We're gonna sand it and stain it. And it's gonna cost us like 20 bucks plus like the can of stain. And it's gonna take like, you know, a couple hours on a Friday or, or Saturday or something. And again, I'm the least handy person in the world. And it took like two weekends and there's all this, why don't you do this? Why don't you follow the instructions? And like, I hate instructions. <laughs> and so it's like this whole thing. But the point being, right? So I'm the kind of person that just wants to get things done. And then my beautiful wife is a perfectionist. And so like when those two collide, like things can get done really well or there can be conflict. So there you go. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, is that oftentimes when we think about your own life, when you try to build something or tend to a garden, it takes time. There's a process. It doesn't happen right away. Most good things in life don't happen right away. So on one hand, yes, growth is necessary, but we also have to kind of counterbalance that and say, you know what, growth is a process too. It doesn't just happen overnight. Doesn't, I mean, sometimes I wish it could, like it could be like the matrix and you get hooked up and you know, boom, you know, you're just like super spiritual, but that doesn't often happen, right? Which pushes against, right? We live in this instant culture of microwaves and like Instagram and Amazon Prime. And we forget though, how much that can shape our discipleship to Jesus. And we have to understand discipleship to Jesus is a process. It takes time. And oftentimes you might be growing but you might not actually feel like you're growing. Think about like a tree in, in like the dead of winter. A tree is actually still growing in winter even though from the outside it does not look like it at all, right? Barren leaves, no fruit, but it's still gonna add a ring around its, its trunk, at least so I'm told, right? It, it it's, it's doesn't look like it's growing, but it still is, which means a couple things. When we're talking about growth as a process, I think it kind of, lends to this idea of, you know what? Don't be so hard on yourself. You know, there's so many times where I, I think of my own life and I might do the same thing again or like say the same thing again. I'm like, God, why am I still doing that habit? Or why am I still doing that? And sure, there's again, an invitation to growth, an invitation to maturity, but at the same time, don't be so hard on yourself. And secondly, don't be so hard on others, right? It's easy to really look down and see other people and like, oh my goodness, how are they still doing that? You know, like they're still saying that or acting that way, but realize that God is taking them on a journey as well. And you might not always see it and it might not always be evident, but oftentimes when you look back over like a longer period of time, not just like a week, but a, a longer period of time, you notice, hey, you know, God has been growing me. God has been working in my life. I think just those are a couple things to, to keep in mind, which leads though to my third point, the growth is God's. The growth is God's. Let me start reading in verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Again, these yous are plural. Let no one deceive yourself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. 
So let no one boast in men. We've talked about this before. This is kind of Paul reiterating some of these themes from earlier in Corinthians. Let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Apollos or Paul or Cephas, which is another name for Peter, or the word of life or death or present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Again, there's a lot going on in that passage, but let me point out a couple things. Verse 18, I think is super key. Let me read it again. Paul says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. This is sort of Paul's way of getting at this idea of dying to oneself, dying to one's own agendas, dying to one's own ideas of what it means to be, in context, to be wise in the world and coming alive to what God has, has on offer. It's very similar to what Jesus says in, when Jesus says in the Gospels, in order to save your life, you have to lose it. You can't hold on to your own definition of what it means to live a good life. You can't hold on to your own self-centeredness. You have to die to that so that resurrection life might come through out the other side. Now, it's this paradox and this pattern all throughout scripture. The death to self leads to new life. Now, in that process, Paul is saying, Paul is saying that as this growth, yes, is necessary as it is a process, that God is the one that's doing the heavy lifting, that God is the one that is dwelling with his people. That's why he said in verse 16, God's spirit dwells in you all. God's spirit is present with you. And then he goes on to say, you are God's temple. Now, we think of that and we go, oh, especially if you grew up in the church, that's like very familiar and very Christian kind of a thing to, to say and think about. But in the context of the first century, the temple, as Paul's writing this letter probably a de maybe two or three decades at most after the death and resurrection of Jesus, so like in the middle of the first century, as Paul's writing this, the temple in Jerusalem is still standing. And when Paul says to this group of Christians, you know what, God's spirit dwells in you all and that you are God's temple? I mean, if you're a Jewish person especially, you're going, no, no, God's presence is supposed to be over there in that temple. That's where God dwells, and we, we go to meet with him there. Paul is saying, you know what? Because of the cross of Christ, because of what Jesus has done, you know, God's spirit dwells amongst us here in this place. And that God wants to be with you. That God longs to dwell with his people. And Corinthians, don't you get that? Don't you know that? That God's spirit is here and with you. And you're acting like infants over here, but don't you know that you, church, are the temple of God, that God's spirit longs to and is dwelling amongst you, which means this, that the, the heavy lifting, the, the, the motivation, the power for growth is not found in your own strength. It's not found in you trying to mustering up on yourself because God is here amongst us, that God is the one that is empowering us to live the lives that he's calling us to live. He's the one who says, yes, you have the spirit of God. Yes, you are in Christ. But even though you're acting as infants, I've given you my spirit. And I want to empower you. And I want to dwell among you. And I want you to experience my presence so that you might not no longer live as immature infants, but that you might fully develop and experience all that I have to offer, all that I have for you in your life. Both collectively and I think we can also say for us as individuals as we follow Jesus together. I mean, notice throughout this passage, 
the impetus and the heavy lifting that, that God is behind all this. Verse 6, God is the one who gave the growth. Verse 7 again, God is the one who gave the growth. Verse 9, you are God's field. Like you, are, you belong to God. You are God's building. Again, you belong to God. Verse 10, God is the one who gives grace. And again, like we've just talked about, you are God's temple. That Paul wants the Corinthians to understand that this growth is not going to come from your own ideas or your own wisdom or your own ways of working in the world, but understanding that you belong to God and that God gives his spirit and his grace to empower. But Paul goes on and he says in verse 23, you are all Christ. All things are yours. Now, when Paul says, this is kind of a confusing section here. When Paul says, all things are yours, church, you know, you're God's building, you're God's temple, all things are yours, whether it's Apollos or Cephas, and he goes on like this litany of lists, life, death, present, future, all belong to you. What is Paul saying there? That, 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 those couple lines have always kind of tripped me up a little bit. Because is, is Paul saying, you know what, hey, church, you can have whatever you want. You know, just, you know, go buy the mansion, you know, go do whatever you want. Everything belongs to you. Is that what, is Paul kind of giving like, you know, a blank check to just say, I have, I, you can do anything you, that's not what Paul's saying, right? I think that's pretty obvious. But think about it in context. What is Paul saying? You know, the Corinthians think that they're mature. The Corinthians think they have all the wisdom or that they know how to get all the wisdom of the world. They know what it means to be powerful and elite in society. At least they think that. But Paul's saying, no, no, you have to die to your sense of self. And when you come alive to Christ, you realize that, you know what? All the wisdom, all the strength, all of what you are longing for and how to be in the world that you have been so seeking in all the wrong ways is yours in Christ. It's found only in him. It belongs to you. Now live into that reality. Live into what has already been declared true of you. Take the steps to live into that. And so if we, as we've talked about, growth, yes, is necessary. It's, it's a process. It's gradual. There's other components involved as far as people being involved in that process and carrying us along on that journey. But also, as we've just talked about, the growth is also God's. That God does the heavy lifting. Now, you might be kind of, if you're kind of following and going along with this, you might be going, okay, this is great. At least hopefully you think that. That I get it. Like, I want to grow. I want to experience the change. I want to see God work in my life. But there's this big question at the end of all these things. Of the question of how. Like, how does this actually happen? How does growth actually happen in your life and in my life and collectively as a church? You know, and that could be a whole other teaching. So we could just, you know, keep going forever, right? And just do a whole, like, sermon part two, if you will. Which I won't do that. We'll, we'll wrap it up. But the point, though, is there's a lot that can be said about this. But as I was kind of thinking about this and trying to understand, okay, what does it mean? And how do we actually grow? What are kind of a couple things that we could take away from this? I think a couple things come to mind. The first one, well, two of them together, being both recognize and respond. Recognize and respond. What do I mean? Well, first, recognize. Recognize First, a couple things. Well, recognize that you belong to Christ. Recognize what is already true of you, apart from anything that you've ever done or anything you ever will do. You belong to Christ. That's what Paul says at the end of this letter, and even, or at the end of this chapter. And even though Paul also says you are infants, 
In verse 4, he also says by the end of the chapter, you belong to Christ. And recognizing how oftentimes in our own lives, both of those things are often true. That there's moments, if we're honest, in our life that we act like infants. That the immaturity rears its ugly head. But at the same time, Paul is able to say in the same breath, you belong to Christ. And it's also this invitation of recognizing is recognizing where are those patterns? Where are those areas in your life where you kind of veer off course and you don't fully live into all that Christ has for you? You know, part of my own sort of routine is partly because I think I, I have like ADD when it comes to prayer and I can't focus for all that long, is what I try to do is just kind of pray a psalm or read a psalm that kind of grounds me in something. And so there's a rotation of a few of them that I keep coming back to, but Psalm 139 is one of them. And there's a line in Psalm 139 that says, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked or wayward way within me. And maybe for you, just very practically inviting you into that process of coming before God and asking God, okay, where are those areas in my life where immaturity kind of rears its head? And asking God to bring recognition there and clarity in your life. You know, not to bring shame or guilt or like a sense of like failure or despair, but to recognize in the arms of a loving father, God loves you enough to not leave you in your brokenness, not leave you in your immaturity, but wants to bring you forward gently along his path. And to recognize, you know, where are those areas? I think one of the things that keeps coming up for me is this kind of area of like patience and like dealing with interruptions. I've kind of been thinking about this is like, I realize that my personality, I've been getting to realize this, is that I can't stand being interrupted or probably too strong of a word, that sounds very rough, but like I have a hard time with interruptions, which being a parent of two little ones is like you're living with constant two little interruptions. They're cute and they're wonderful, but they're like walking, talking interruptions all around my life, right? And I was listening to this parenting podcast a couple weeks ago and this guy was, he was like kind of vaguely quoting C.S. Lewis, but he had this basic idea where he said, how you respond to interruptions is who you truly are. And I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> that's, hard. that's rough. But like, it's, just, it's just part of this process of like, there's different ways I feel like God is like, speaking to me about this, whether it's like a podcast or the scriptures. It's just all these things coming together and seeing like, this is an area where you need to recognize that I want to work in your life. An area where I don't want to leave you in this kind of wherever you want to call this, but I want to bring you forward into something healthier and something better and something new. The second thing though, first recognize, second thing is respond. Respond. And just simply responding to God's invitation and responding in such a way where we prioritize being with God. I think so much of discipleship to Jesus is not about doing things for God, but being with God and then our doing flows out of that. And I think for us as we think about growth and maturity, it's asking that question, how do we respond to God's invitation? And how do we create spaces in our lives where we can hear actually what God is saying to us and what God wants to do in our lives and to bring us into that place of health and growth and vitality? You know, I think for, for me, a lot of it has to do with just having these practices, like I said, that prioritize being with God, but in a kind of a diff- couple different ways. And one thing that's been helpful for me is understanding the difference between what some people call upstream practices and downstream practices. 
Downstream practices are like, just think about a river. Downstream, it's easy, it's natural. Like, think about river rafting in the summer or something. You just coast down the river. It's enjoyable, it makes sense, it's intuitive, whatever. You know, and for me, that's those ways of trying to be with God that are intuitive, that are downstream, are, are scripture and study. I mean, I just love being in the scriptures. I love to study. I could just do that all day, every day, and just be by myself and do that. But kind of more of an upstream practice, and I think it's healthy to have both of these areas that kind of push against kind of our own kind of complacency and, and comfort. The upstream practices do that. And for me, it's been just prayer in particular. Like I said, prayer can often be very hard for me to just kind of focus and ground myself in. But just thinking about prayer as a way of being with God and responding to God's invitation of, of where, God, do you want me to grow? How, God, do you want me to grow? And kind of a simple way that I've, part of this is like I just kind of try different things. But one thing that I've tried is there's this acronym that I read recently about on prayer, or just P-R-A-Y, and each letter stands for something, and kind of working through this. And the first one, P, for pr at the beginning of pray, is just pause. And just pausing and slowing down. Just takes a couple minutes, or even a couple seconds, but just slowing down over the busyness of life, and just pausing. And just being still. You know, in like the digital age, with email all over the place and social media, it's so easy to just busy, busy, busy. But what does it look like to pause and to slow down? And then secondly, just the R, being both repent and rejoice. Repenting, just simply being, turning from where I'm at and turning back to God. Whether that's good things, bad things, something in between, turning that and bringing that before God. Whatever it is, the anxiety, the worry, the sin, the brokenness, saying, God, I want to turn to you with this thing. And then also our rejoicing, being thankful, rejoicing for the things that God has, has done in your life. And then A is simply just ask, like asking and seeking and knocking, taking Jesus' words seriously and believing that they're actually true, that when we ask and we seek and we knock, things happen. And coming before God with all our requests because the book of 1 Peter says he cares about our burdens. And then Y is simply just yield. Yielding to what God has. Praying like Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. You know, I think that's just a very simple way of simply being with God. And understanding that it's in the process of being with God. Remember, God, we are, God's spirit is with us. He wants to dwell among us. And as we, as Brother Lawrence said, practice the presence of God, being with God, God speaks to us, he transforms us, and he brings us and continues us on a journey so that we might experience more and more of Jesus. You know, I want to invite the worship team to come up. And you know, and as we're thinking about this, as we're in this sort of space, this space of, you know, coming before God in both the scriptures and in song, and looking at, okay, God, where in my life, and where in our lives collectively as well, where, God, are you speaking? Where, God, are you inviting me to respond to you, to recognize the areas where, you know what, I've kind of veered off a bit? Maybe areas in your life where, you know what, you think you're really mature, you've got it all together, but maybe there's some things this past week that have 
revealed, you know what? You know, there's, there's still some room to grow there. And not to bring any shame or guilt or condemnation. Romans says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But God's spirit is here amongst us and wants to bring freedom and life, to bring forgiveness. And so may we just use these next few moments as a time to really even just simply pause and ask God to bring recognition and awareness to the areas that he wants to show his grace and mercy and power in our lives. So Father, we ask God that you would continue to minister to us, you continue to speak through the time that we are here. And God, as we seek you, God, I pray, God, that you continue to reveal your goodness to us. Continue to show us your faithfulness and your grace and your provision in our lives. And God, help us to be a people that aren't stuck in our immaturity, but God, experience your grace and power to transform us into more and more like Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come. Help us to be aware of your presence in this place. And may you continue to work. We love you and we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.